Welcome to PostStatus Draft, the official podcast for PostStatus, a website with news and information for WordPress professionals. Today, Joe and I are talking about WordPress themes and what a theme's role in a WordPress site is today versus what it should be. If you enjoy this podcast, you can get a lot more quality news and analysis from the PostStatus Club multiple times per week. Check out our current club members, site partners, and join the club on our website at poststatus.com club. You'll be joining more than 700 wonderful club members, and you'll never miss important WordPress news again. Today, I'd like to feature one of our partners, WP101. The WP101 plugin frees your time, enabling you to focus on what you do best while providing popular WordPress 101 tutorial videos directly to your client's dashboards. You can even add your own videos to the WP101 plugin. Go to WP101plugin.com for more information, and thanks to WP101 for being a PostStatus partner. Now, here's our show. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm the editor of PostStatus. And I'm Joe, a co-founder and the CTO of HumanMade. And welcome to the PostStatus Draft Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about uh, WordPress themes, what a theme's role is in a WordPress site today, uh, or indeed what it should be. Yeah, so there's been a decent amount of theme news recently, and I thought it'd be fun to uh, talk a little more structurally about what themes are in WordPress and how that has changed over time. Um, mm. And suddenly I'm having these flashbacks of Kubrick. Uh, <laughs> what is it? What is a theme today? And that's your, uh... <laughs> it's not, not that go to. Yeah. No, uh, I, remember, I remember like 20% of the internet was just Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't remember what uh, version of WordPress themes were introduced, but um. Yeah, Kubrick was a big deal, and early on, you know, theming WordPress was basically skinning, um, very skinning similar Kubrick. templates. <laughs> yeah, skinning skinning Kubrick. Uh, but obviously, it's gone a long way since uh, since then, and there are several uh, things. Some of them are pretty old debates, and some are much newer uh, that kind of dominate the theme landscape and. A lot of the conversations also change depending on whether you're talking about themes that are in the WordPress.org um, theme directory or in the commercial ecosystem uh, where mm. there's typically a lot more flexibility in terms of the theme author deciding what should be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the theme um, directory is, is over the couple, past couple of years kind of gone in the direction of more guidelines and things like that, I suppose. So there's uh, Well, they've, they've really had those guidelines for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been people that have tried to, over the years, uh, push those limits as much as possible to stand out amongst the crowd. Right, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, theme and plugin functionality between those two. There's uh, differences between commercial and, and free themes, and there's uh, a newer trend of page builders and what their role in theming is. Mm. Um, there are page builder plugins. There are page builder plugins that only work with specific themes. And then there are page builders that are part of the themes themselves. And it's definitely a huge segment of the WordPress site landscape mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And then we've also, we'll finish talking about other theming options. You're not just limited to this pseudo. PHP and WordPress and HTML all in the same files. Uh, 
theming landscape, you can you can use completely separate tools. Um, mm-hmm. So people playing the REST API drinking game can uh, will be able to to have a drink. Prepare your shots. <laughs> Prepare your shots. <laughs> uh, so at a base level, let's just talk about. Um, what you know? What is a theme, and and what the heck should it do at the base level? Um, hmm. So what's the what's the the functional definition? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a test joke. I would say. I mean, let me start um, with this. We all you have to have a theme. You have to have a style.css, right? <laughs> is that you, all? You, uh, it's not one. all, but it's you need two files. Um, you need a style.css and you need an index.php. Do you need an index.php if your only child is if it's a child theme? Um, no, oh, but we won't for a, the, you still have to have a parent theme right, in that case. True. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the WordPress itself is going to read based on um, the style sheet, so it's got that header block of comments. And that tells that block of comments in style.css is what tells WordPress what's what this theme is, um, its name and all that stuff, um, its version, its author, and then that information is used in WordPress core. Of course, there's parent themes and child themes, um, and you know for a long time, the parent and child theme relationship was kind of how people managed advanced theme functionality because you would have a theme framework or something in uh, a parent theme, yeah. and then it would be customized through a child theme. Yeah. Um, is that how something like Genesis works, or is that a plugin Genesis, there? Or? Genesis, yep, Genesis still works that way. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Genesis so can is... Can you child theme a Genesis theme, or is the Genesis theme already a child of Genesis? If you have a... Let's say you build a custom website on Genesis then you're going to be using the Genesis parent theme. Mm-hmm. It's called Genesis, and you can't touch that. But then you would create your own custom child theme or you would fork an existing Genesis child theme, and then you would make that your your website's theme. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of frameworks did that. I actually have a post on post status that I still think is pretty good, even though it's old, um, that is called What is a Theme Framework? Um because different tools have changed that over the years, um, right? That was that was kind of the classic way to do it, and that's where it got popular to put uh, a lot of hooks and filters in the parent theme, and then the child theme functions .php would be the playground for manipulating the parent theme. Right? Was that before uh, uh, template parts or? Um... Yeah, get the introduction of Git template part was a transformative for doing it in a different way. So, Git template part is just a uh, a mechanism for WordPress to look in the child theme before it looks in the parent theme for a similarly named file. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the introduction of Git template part, a lot of the advantages of using uh, hooks. Uh, within themes went away because what what you used to do would be the parent theme would say add action and then they would you know it would be like below header above content mm, <laughs> so, yeah and, and then the, the child theme the child theme can 
uh, undo that action and redo its own action and put its own template in there. Right, right. Um, whereas now you can just override that template part. Um, I actually still think there's some value in the in the hook system, but it's mm. less important than it used to be. It used to be the only way to change anything. So, so as Ian, as a parent theme author now, it's probably it's better to split is into as many template parts as as feasible so then a child theme can just overwrite the specific bit at once i guess yeah or at least as pra- as is practical right um and that way the theme the child theme author can just kind of define their own stuff and then uh it'll use that instead mm-hmm. um but yeah so theme frameworks have have changed a lot over the years um have, you know, there's also, do, do you use any of them? Have you in the past? Yeah, so I used to, I used to be a big user of Justin Tadlock's. Um, originally, it was the hybrid theme, and it was very similar to um, the way Genesis works, except it was less. Uh, it used less of its of like a, basically a proprietary right dictionary of of how things are done. It was. Um, a lot easier to navigate. So like if you go to index.php, it's not going to say like, it's not a function called Genesis index <laughs> and that's right, it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever Genesis does. Yeah. It's a little bit, it looks a little bit more like a traditional WordPress template. Right. Um, Justin actually transitioned, um, especially once template parts and stuff like that came into play, Justin transitioned into something called hybrid core to where it's a library folder that is a drop-in, and he would encourage the use of uh, a parent theme where you use hybrid core as a base of functionality within the, that the parent theme and potential child themes could utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, I still kind of prefer that method, the drop-in framework. Right. So he has features within the theme, so I was just looked at his website so it implements stuff like that's a little too complicated for a theme, but is good to be kind of theme functionality. So breadcrumbs, um, he's got some media functionality for like how to automatically grab and utilize media okay. information from the content. Uh, some pagination stuff, um, more defined post templates to copy to mimic the page template functionality, um, theme layouts. Some specialized thumbnail and image scripts, so like automatically pulling a featured thumbnail or giving flexibility for how you do the featured image, that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, and some translation tools. So that's what Hybrid Core exists of now, and that way you can use his framework, and whoever maintains the parent theme can just update the the core drop-in, mm-hmm. and if you know other things change for compatibility purposes they can adjust their parent theme and then the child themes can kind of live on their own right in the old system what became a problem was people started saying well i need a grandchild theme um because you could be using let's say let's use our genesis example because it's such a rich ecosystem you could be using the genesis parent theme and then genesis could have a real estate child theme and that itself has a lot of functionality in the child theme, so you don't fork it, you use it, and then you're like, well, how do I customize it? Because you want to do more than what's just in maybe an additional style sheet or something. Mm-hmm. So people would say, well, I need a grandchild theme, and getting around that was kind of tough. Mm, yeah, um, I can imagine. The way some 
people have approached that is actually to have, uh, and this is a better option, <laughs> um, is to have functionality plugins um, to where it's kind of a site-specific functionality bit, and then you you know your child theme is more of a style layer. Um, that's that's probably kind of the best way to, to mm-hmm. do things these days. Um, and I think theme frameworks in the sense of like some do-it-all parent theme are not as popular as they once were. Mm. And it's more popular to use something like underscores that has a relative degree of simplicity built in and it's meant to be forked and, um, you know, it doesn't have like therefore underscores itself doesn't have to stay the same forever and deal with back compat. It can always be breaking itself. Okay. So you don't child theme underscores, you just edit and you know, where you want to, you, you fork underscores, you, they have a generator to where you even rename it to whatever your custom project is. And then that site or that theme is kind of bought into what, you know, whatever the technology of the day is. Mm -hmm. Um, and, they can update it later if it wants, but underscores itself will constantly be changing. So if you used underscores two years ago and you look at underscores today, there may be backward compatibility breaks, but no one's going to go and say like, oh, I need to up- update my underscores. Right. Um, instead, the site you built two years ago may just be uh, unsupportive of some newer WordPress features. For mm-hmm. instance, like site logos, site icons, some of that kind of stuff that are implemented in themes. Uh, your older themes just may not be using that stuff. Right. Um, but the default WordPress themes do. Um, I've actually recently been playing with 2016 a good bit because I was looking for something that was kind of underscores like except gave more structure and um, the opinionated parts of 2016 from a stylistic standpoint actually are pretty easy to undo because mm-hmm. it's got these like big... 2016 is like the border around the edge one. That's, uh, yeah, that's yeah, all I ever it, remember. About that. <laughs> I know, and I, I hate, hate that, that one feature. <laughs> but otherwise, other than some of the very aggressive borders, mm-hmm. uh, it's got a pretty nice base uh, structural framework mm-hmm. um, in terms of styles. So I've actually been um i've been doing one of my like you know two-day build a website things Mm -hmm. uh which i do for friends and organizations i like sometimes and uh i've been having fun with 2016 because i basically ripped out the opinionated parts okay and i've been kind of using it to give me a structural base that's very similar to underscores but um is a little more opinionated so that I don't have to go and redo all these things like table styles, mm. <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, that's so, true. Uh, you know, who knows what, like, it's not just table styles. I mean, the, I, I guess the default themes are pretty well fleshed out just in terms of all of the stuff that they support and things I'd expect anyway, not that I kind of like use them to much a degree, but, uh, no, they totally are though. There's a lot of time goes into those yeah, exactly. default themes. So if you take out if for me to be able to get an underscores like like very light theme, it doesn't even support SAS or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So I can go and kind of backport to my own I can use my own like package.json and uh I can backport it to use SAS if I wanna mm-hmm. get significantly uh more stylistic with it. And I can I can do whatever I want, but like 
the base theme has really not got that much to it. I took out most of the customizer stuff that they put into 2016 because you can pick like color templates. Um, So it it was actually a pretty interesting way to do it. Um, And I'd say actually forking simple themes and using them as a base is more common now than using like a theme framework that then you are beholden to that theme framework's decisions for the next five years. or Yeah, now that sounds really tough. When it comes to the parent theme, you know, um, version updating and things like that, and again, like maybe the hook isn't there where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's more pragmatic, I guess, just to be able to fork and then edit wherever you want. Yeah, and what I know, I mean, I think Genesis plays a really important role for WordPress. I'm not trying to hate on it um, because it does make if you're okay with the basics of Genesis and what it gives you, mm-hmm. then it it allows you to pretty rapidly make websites. Right, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, that's valuable for a lot of um, a lot of tiers in the industry, I guess. Right. What it doesn't do is make it easy for someone that knows what they want. So let's say these are things that I know Genesis has dealt with over the last few years. Like um, people are demanding, you know, schema.org data. Or mm-hmm. you know to update to uh, a more HTML5 like spec versus HTML4 stuff, um, or I don't even know who knows what mm-hmm. <laughs> you know other things like that where Genesis has to be very careful about back compat because if all of a sudden you know they're using HTML elements that the child theme doesn't style or doesn't recognize then it doesn't work right um, yeah. so they have to be more careful with that type of stuff. Um, but if you're not worried about that and you're basically skinning like what Genesis does out of the box, then you can skin Genesis really quickly mm. and it solves your problems. And if you're just comfortable with CSS and a little bit of HTML and, you know, the built-in functionality of, uh, customizing Genesis and using all the tools that they have, that's why it's such a popular ecosystem. Right, right. Um, cause you certainly have to do more stuff <laughs> if you're completely forking and adjusting a theme you have to un- you have to really understand mm. the essence of wordpress theming template hierarchies and all sorts of stuff the usual kind of learn more and do more work if you need to go more custom i guess right um the other th- type of theme that used to be quite popular and underscores kind of did away with a good bit was um like Bones and Starkers, have you heard of those? Bones I've heard of. Um, those were like old school uh, starter themes, if you will. Okay. But they, ha- they have way less even than Underscores does. Like Underscores has everything you need in a theme, but it doesn't style any of it. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, my understanding. So you can't really move as quickly, I guess, because of that. Yeah, like so Underscores, it even has like accessibility stuff built in that's helpful. So, um, you know, like ARIA attributes or, you know, like things like that. Um, but it's not, it, it, if you want two columns, you got to go and you got to style how your right. two column layout's going to work. Um, some of the other starter themes, they're just like, here's the bare bones of what you need for WordPress theme review scripts to not, like flag you as not having the mandatory stuff for WordPress. Mm-hmm. So it's like less lines, literally less lines of who knows right, what. Right. 
Um, one of those is not even on GitHub anymore. I guess it didn't do so well. I guess so. <laughs> uh, so I think those have really gone out of style, and if anybody's using those, they should probably update to something else. Um, and then a- another example, let's see. This is these are still very popular. Um, would be like visual frameworks. Um, so back then, iThemes Builder, PageLines, Headway, those were still po- those were really popular. That ecosystem has exploded, so that there are tons of options now. Um, and there's like uh, the Make Theme by the Theme Foundry is a really popular one. That's uh, a theme driven page builder. Okay. So with these, um, customizing them, if you're a developer and you're customizing them, you have to be very familiar with how they work. Mm. Um, and if you choose to use them, you're kind of buying into their ecosystem. Um, I mean, are they, you, for those kind of themes, I guess we're talking about very complex, quite large in terms of the code base, it's got the whole page builder aspect to it. Like, are they kind of aimed at developers modifying them, or is it more of a uh, end user, you can build the website that you would similar with Squarespace or something? It's both, but I would say the ones that are in themes are more geared to end users, because it would make more sense for them to be plugins. It, other than the fact that they want to be able to pitch it to a customer and say, you install this, you activate it, and you have the mm-hmm. tools you need. Yeah. Um, whereas the ones that are plugins, I feel like a developer is going to prefer a page builder and a plugin. Um, right. Yeah. Layers and Make are both in the themes, and they're pretty. They are good. Like they're actually those are two are actually really good tools for developers too. But they're in the theme, and I think. To a certain degree, both of them might regret that a little bit. Um, Mm. But it does make them better for the end user because it's just in the theme. The other, the other, I'm unfortunately putting a big umbrella over over it. But the other organization where you'll see a lot of page builders and themes is going to be on ThemeForest because that's what you buy on ThemeForest. Um, And a lot of the ThemeForest themes. Almost all the popular ones have page builders built into the themes. So those and page builder frameworks, like that are shared across them, or are most people rolling their own? Um, some of them will support like a popular one, okay. and they're shared. So like Visual Studio or whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, <laughs> not not the, the uh, Microsoft uh, no programming Visual Studio, <laughs> Visual Composer. All right, yeah. That one is very popular. It's a Code Canyon thing, and a lot of the theme forest ones support that. But some of them have their own built in. Um, Pippin Williamson was recently complaining about the page builders and saying mm. they all suck. Yeah, I saw that so tweet. He identified he has thirteen in his list right now that he's testing, and these are the plugin ones, not theme ones. Okay. So these are thirteen page builder plugins, and. So um, what, does a, what does that mean? Is a page builder plugin usually something that would be in the admin where you're building your page rather than on the front end, or is that no, whether some of them do that? Or? Whether it's theme or plugin, uh, either of them could be in the admin or on the front end. They, they all take kind of a different track. Some of them are in the customizer. Some are like front end, click on the title, and all of a sudden you can edit it because you have permissions. Some are right. on the back end, and it's like a bunch of custom post types or replacement of the content. 
Um, it depends. Really, the only differentiator is the ones that are plugins are not assuming a particular theme. So, like, they have their own plugin styles and um, they may integrate with certain themes, but, you know, they're not like, they're not saying you need the theme. The theme ones are just bundling all of that builder functionality into the some includes folder within the theme, and then they're using that throughout the theme. Okay, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's to each his own, I guess, in terms of how you do it. But it does leave a question, and many of these are like short code driven, for instance. So take Divi, for example. It's super popular. You could have the Divi plugin builder and... Um, Actually, I think they have a theme too. I can't. <laughs> I get them mixed up. Uh, and you know, someone goes and they build six pages that have all these custom components. You know, with team and portfolio and whatever. Okay. And they're using the builder, and the builder on the back end is basically just giving a visual guide for short code management. Okay. So then you go switch away from that theme with that builder in it, and you go to a different one. If it doesn't use the same short codes, all your short codes are either stored in options or they just got dumped into the content. Right. Now you have a bunch of non-functioning short codes. So theme transferability goes down in some of these instances. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's one of the that's one of the reasons I like Make and Layers is because they actually, when they are building, they're using a visual guide, but they're actually creating HTML. Not uh, they're not right. creating. Short so, codes. like in in the content, you're actually getting, you know, a future mar- markup, right? And it might still be ugly because you know, like all your stuff might lose its styles, but you could transfer it. Like you could t- even copy the styles from the theme, move it to some like transition dot css mm-hmm. <laughs> in, yeah. in your next website, and then all that HTML from the old theme builder can be styled because you have this transition period and then mm-hmm. you clean it up over time or who knows what. Um, so there's ways to work with it. But this all gets really complicated and it makes you think like, what the heck is a theme? You know, like should we be able to switch themes and everything works or is it right. okay to require this like crazy process of transitioning between themes is a theme of, like at, at its core, it's kind of a question of, is a theme a website or mm. is a theme a skin? Mm. I guess because, yes, it's a tricky one. I guess because like a lot of, like the functionality doesn't exist within WordPress for a page builder. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I, I guess it's difficult then because you have no standardization because you don't have something that is kind of like endorsed as it were by being in core. Um, you have always the, the classic kind of competing standards problem um, where even if themes are integrating with page builder plugins rather than building their own, there's still a bunch of different page builder plugins. So you still could maybe switch between themes that both support the same page builder plugin. But I, I'd imagine like the chances of that actually happening right now are pretty slim just because not that many are integrating at all compared to the total amount of themes. And if they are, there's quite a lot of different page builders already. Um, yeah. So and obviously this is a lot more complicated when you're talking about distributed themes and plugins. Um, if we were doing this in a client work context, it becomes a lot more clear because um, you can do it in either one. But in a client work situation, you would assume, okay, three or four years from now, they're going to want to redesign. 
However, we want to be able to retain the content that we've created. So let's say you create a human maids doing a project for a client. And in part of that, y'all have six custom post types and a bunch of like custom uh, code that portrays data in a particular way. Um, then your theme, you may define all, you'd probably define all that in plugins. And then your theme would basically call the display functions to show it in the templates. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way, with your new theme, can use those same functions and you'd keep everything, all the functionality in the plugins and everything would be okay in a redesigned context. And if that client, let's say they develop, you know, they created 10,000 pieces of content based on, on this functionality that you created, they don't lose that content or whatever if they hire someone else to do a new theme because mm. they can keep the functionality through the plugins that, that you created. But is there also a problem in, um, I guess, like when you're actually like a lot of these page builders, you're laying out content, so you're, you're composing it, but the future design can potentially change that composition uh, to be instead of, you know, instead of you having three columns on your product marketing page, then the new design only has one or two or something. So even if you could take the same data, then you've still got a problem of like, is the data stored in such a way where it's just actually in a table that is three cons wide or whatever? Um, or is, is it going to be stored in an abstract enough way for you to use exactly the same page builder data, but in your redesign? And that seems like quite a tough problem, at least, I guess. Yeah, and in that case, um, th- you're kind of getting at the point of like, isn't it bad to not have standardized components, basically? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, like both, one, storing things maybe a little agnostic of their visual representation, um, but as then, and then also having a standardized yeah, way of storing and naming those things. How likely do you think it is that a website is going to have a whole lot of those like page built? <laughs> what do you call that? Like, you know, like uh, arbitrarily built pages. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I would say uh, even now, with there being no de facto way of doing this, it's I, I can in the past maybe like year or so, I've really seen the amount of sites that we're building. Um, and that I'm seeing, you know, in the wild where they're product marketing pages where you're expected just to be able to lay out things, I guess, you know, you've got a bunch of different modules that you can put into rows or maybe columns and you're like composing your marketing page that way rather than the older fashioned, like just populate the WordPress database with all of your data and then the theme will choose how it shows everything. Um, but the downside of that is, yeah, content migrations and things are even more difficult because of that because now you've got things stored in a hundred different places and you've got to work out how you're going to map that into the new design. And I think because of that, um, a lot of the time when you're doing migration with that kind of content, you're just kind of like, it's a manual process of building all of those pages out again in the new design using the new page builder or whatever. And as long as you don't have hundreds of those, then you're probably not even going to use a script for that. You're just going to rebuild the pages. Yeah, quite potentially, yeah. I think, like, because all of those pages probably would have been built manually in the first place, then it's maybe, you know, you're more likely to have fewer of those pages than if you had a site where you imported a couple of million posts and there's no way you're going to go through those by hand. 
Um, but I, I think it just does, like let's say WordPress core had something alongside a page builder. We would probably find then that the majority of our content was much more less standardized in like how, whereabouts it was stored in terms of the storing of the data being more tied to where it is on the page, what column it's in, things like that. Uh, whereas right now we really only have two fields, you know, you've got a post content and you have a post title. And when we do a migration, then it's pretty easy to migrate those two fields. Uh, but if there is a way in WordPress to store things in different locations within a page or something like that, you could kind of imagine that post content can now be split up into 20 different fields. And now there's a lot more work, I guess, in terms of just mapping where should something go that was in the old theme to the new theme and so on. Yeah, it gets pretty complicated. Um, and that's what I would assume of people that, you know, like non-custom built websites, I would assume a big percentage of them are utilizing some kind of tool that does this type of stuff. Mm. Making me a little worried about like any of those websites that last a while or want to use a different tool. Uh, they're their process for like switching and you know making their site work again <laughs> could be a long one. Yeah, but I mean to be honest, like I think like let's say you come to WordPress as like maybe a similar type of person that would have gone to Squarespace and created a website there. So you find uh, a theme with a full page builder and all of that, and you set up your website exactly how you want it. And then a couple of years down the line. Uh, you decide that your website is looking old and there's like loads of new themes and they've got all these new features and you can have all these different modules and all that kind of stuff. Like I can't really imagine a scenario where that person is able to migrate anyway. Um, so they're just going to like set up their new site and then set up everything in scratch because you like the WordPress import export feature is so broken anyway that um, <laughs> I don't think like anyone now isn't even migrating their site. Like you, you literally can't just export your site and import it somewhere else as a user. You can only do that as a developer at the moment. Um, so I think like for the vast majority of WordPress you, like uh, sites, which are powered by users and don't have developers behind them to you know, do your MySQL dump and all that kind of thing, uh, I, I'd imagine they're all already rebuilding their sites anyway. I'd like to take a quick break to thank our sponsor, WP101. Did you know that there's two WP101 services? There's WP101.com, which is a membership website where you can send people to learn the basics of WordPress and take courses on how to use WordPress, get familiar with the dashboard, uh, understand how to create content and switch themes and do all those th fun things in WordPress. Um, they also have e-commerce tutorials over there uh, for WooCommerce. Or you can go to WP101plugin.com, which is actually a plugin that you can install on your client sites. And it's the absolute easiest way to teach clients uh, WordPress basics. What I really love about the WP101 plugin is that not only can you filter the videos that they offer to cater uh, the tutorials to what your particular client needs, uh, but you can also add your own videos within the plugin. So you can have a one-stop shop to send your clients so that you can avoid... Uh, some of those support questions that are more easily answered through video tutorials, and you can just tell them that it's right there in their WordPress dashboard. WP101 has been around for years. It's the best place to learn the basics of WordPress and uh, send your clients. It's always up to date with every single version of WordPress, which I just love. Uh, if they're, they need to do re-recordings, they do those during the release candidate phase, and uh, by the time that version of WordPress comes out, they're ready to go every time. It's awesome. 
There's so much that you can do with it. There's many different uh, levels of pricing that you can check out uh, to see what's, what's right for you. Go to WP101plugin.com for more. And thanks so much to WP101 for being a post-ass partner. Um, so that kind of gets at a concept that bothers me a little bit because essentially we're saying that the, the, the very definition of a theme has probably changed over the years because, I mean, originally, like there were even filters in the WordPress theme directory that was like, go view Christmas themes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so like it was much more of a skin style. More of a thing. superficial like, thing, yeah. The, the same way that I would imagine a Gmail theme, where the theme does not change the core functionality of Gmail, which would blow my mind if, it, <laughs> if something did. But instead, you're changing a color scheme or you're using like an animated cow landscape in the background. Right. <laughs> Who knows what. Um, and I, to me, I think that that was probably the original idea for how WordPress themes would be. They're basically a skin of of the website, the way, uh, oh, what was that website back in the day with like the same HTML, but it was different CSS and they had CSS oh, competitions. Oh, yeah, CSS Zen Garden. Um, CSS Zen Garden. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess like uh, because over the years, what a WordPress site is has grown uh, orders of magnitude, really. Like it used to be that Cubic really was like just that was WordPress on the front end, really. And even, you know, the, the themes that came before that weren't really much different. Um, like you have a list of posts, you have a sidebar, you have widgets in the sidebar which have, you know, text links or can have images or whatever. Like that that was a WordPress site, but now a WordPress site is anything from like that traditional type of thing to like full business websites or, um, you know, any, anything else you can virtually think of. There is a theme out there or a page builder that will allow you to build anything. Uh, so I guess, I guess now, like, a theme is more like the website rather than, I, I guess, yeah, more like the style sheet previously. At, at least commercial themes and themes that are built by consultants and stuff, I think you're right. What's funny is I think that the WordPress.org repository, the default themes, um, and if you kind of abide by that ecosystem, mm. they would mostly still uh, play by the rules of what you might find on mm. CSS Zen Garden. Which, yeah. by the way, CSS Zen Garden updated a couple of years ago after responsive design became popular. Um, so if you go there now, they're very different from one another. But it, it's like that whole point, you know, showing what you can do mm-hmm. just with CSS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is like the epitome of what the default themes historically would want to show in terms of right what a theme is. Yep. Because these have no markup difference whatsoever. It's all it's all CSS. And obviously CSS Zen Garden kind of goes to the max in terms of trying to Right. Show show how much CSS can do. But it is very impressive when you click around. And I think that's probably what WordPress themes intended. But over yeah. time, you know, like people want a lot more than just this in their websites. Like would it be fair I, to say that the WordPress.org themes, like what they're trying to do there is like not something quite as far as the SN Garden, but it's more like for in, in the scope of having WordPress, then it's really the themes are different markup and different CSS, but it's the same feature set. Uh, across all themes, yeah, it's built into the, it's probably. built into the rules, right? Um, like 
if you do a you can do you can do a let's say a WooCommerce theme or something, and it can go on .org, but it has to support WooCommerce whenever the plugin is active. Um, you couldn't create your own e-commerce system within <laughs> embedded into the theme, yeah. uh, or you can't you know you can't embed a forms tool into the theme. Like there, those types of things are strictly outlawed. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, I can understand why that uh, grows so much in the co- commercial theme space, where there is less um, control, I guess, from from any kind of authority. Um, yeah, and and you can in the commercial ecosystem, you can see the point of the .dot org rules. Um, but there are some funny situations. It actually just um, has been going on recently. Um, but a very popular uh, theme, Zerif Light, um, is in .org, and it was suspended from .org because over a period of a year, they didn't change their rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, or change the way they did things because they have, uh, I think it's testimonials or something that are stored in options and it's mm-hmm. part of the theme. And the theme review team had told them they can't do that. Uh, they had dummy data in uh, into the in the theme so that if you preview the theme on .org, which only shows home.php, it would show like this nice preview. Mm-hmm. So the 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 demo even on WordPress.org, would be far superior than Mm -hmm. all those crappy demos that don't show a front page or anything uh, on .org. And so they're kind of, they were kind of hacking the system Mm. to a degree. And uh, they actually just got removed from the repo. So obviously what they were doing is a lot less egregious than what you can find on a place like ThemeForest or a more unregulated commercial Mm. market. Um, But it was still beyond the scope of what at least the theme review team on wordpress.org and the scope of what the default themes uh the kind of the rules that they tend to play by right um where something like testimonials or a team or whatever is just not supposed to be part of a theme unless you're only supporting other plugins that provide that information mm. is there i guess it's um you know all of the things that you can build with wordpress yes you can build a theme that matches the WordPress.org theming guidelines, and that's the kind of theme that it is. And you can build plugins. Like, you can do whatever you want. That's the good thing about WordPress. Nobody can tell you there's something that you can't build. If you want to build a, a, a theme that has a million features, then you're completely free to do that and sell that. Um, I guess there's just no place in the kind of, quote, official WordPress.org side of things for people that want to do that kind of thing with WordPress, which is building a theme that has everything in it and, and all of that kind of stuff. That's my understanding, anyway, is, is all of the people that want to uh, take that further and have a solution that you just install your theme and your whole size right again, it's got, a, it's got WooCommerce built in or whatever it might be. Uh, <laughs> you just like have to go and sell that somewhere else or, or have people download that even for free elsewhere. Um, there's just no place for you uh, in, in the WordPress.org uh, ecosystem. Not currently, no. Um, and... You know, it can be run... I, I understand. I do think they might be a little too zealous sometimes. Mm. Um, but I do understand where they're coming from. If you... I, I've, I picked on Avada for the first time several years ago. Uh, and, I mean, if you go look at Avada or other top sellers out there in the commercial market, 
and you look at like the way they pitch uh, what this what this theme is, mm. it's unbelievable. Like you would think that you're literally on uh, a hosted like Squarespace's website mm, right. in terms of what they promise, like build your church website or your fashion website or your agency website or your architecture mm. website. Control the layout and the header and the menus and the sliders and the page content and the widgets. Do e-commerce. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm literally, I'm on the demo and I'm just reading crap out. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, uh, is that, um, it's like, like it's, it's not what we're thinking of in terms of like a WordPress skin, but that's like a really big part of WordPress is like people building out whole websites using those kind of tools and, and those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Know, this is the free market at work, no doubt Right, about it. right, exactly, yeah. Um, it's what a customer, when they're saying, hey, I want to build a website, Avada or whoever is saying, here you go, you can do whatever you want. Like, mm-hmm. you want two columns, no problem. You want to build in forms, no problem. We got you. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that the only way it's easy in WordPress right now in terms of the end user is it's easiest if you just say, okay, install this one theme and bam, like yeah. everything's there. Yeah, that's um, true. So just like we don't even have the uh, tooling to really do that in a cleaner way. Yeah, so one of the big questions that I have for this podcast is, is there a role for WordPress core um, or you know, I don't even know, it's various WordPress ecosystems to play the role of providing tooling, providing standards. Like, what if there was just standards for this stuff? It's not like the things you put on a website are novel. Mm. Um, a lot of times it's like, you know, columns, video, images, uh, whatever. Like, you know, like pretty relatively straightforward things. So what if there were some standards, like community standards, and what if then you could go between X, Y, and Z uh, themes and and be okay? You know, like you don't lose your whole website. Has that, has there been any effort in that regard that you know of? Like, have has there tried to? I don't know. Are, are there groups that are trying to propose uh, a standard, you know, schema for all of those kind of things? Um, there have been various efforts over the years. And it's always kind of uh, varied depending on... Um, yeah, I guess politics what, gets involved pretty quickly. Politics and whatever is hot at the time. Right, yeah. Um, two efforts that I have that come to mind. One was the Theme Hook Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a great name. Yeah, so uh, in that case, we talked about... Um, we talked about various theme frameworks earlier well plugins might want to say like well we just want you to be able to activate our plugin and bam we can hook into the i don't know below your comments okay right and put something there so if every theme framework was using the same hook names then a plugin could say add action you know below comment area and throw their thing in there and it would work and actually, some a lot of themes do support these to this day. Um, like, and is that still an active thing, or is it like? A- I mean, it's not really something that requires a lot of activity. It's just a standard. So you say like you're going to have a before uh, before header 
action area. Okay. You're going to have, yeah. you know, you're gonna, that, this kind of stuff. I just wonder whether and, this is an idea of the past or whether people are still building themes. Correct. It completely depends on whether people are, are committed to doing it. Um, that was 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know some people that do this today and, you know, it, it, it kind of works, but it's mm-hmm. not a standard and it didn't have the pickup that it could have. Another one that probably got a little more uh, attention is custom post type standards. Um, so this was okay. Justin Tad. This is Justin Tadlock again, and this was an- initially in 2014, um, and this was to make some standards for certain types of things. So uh, the ones that he listed as examples were testimonials, portfolios, recipes, FAQs, events, and products. Um, so those are just some examples of, I mean, what percentage of websites could you probably knock out in terms of like, they just use those post Mm. types. Uh, and it's probably a lot. So he was saying, instead of prefixing your FAQs or your events or whatever, you could have better transferability, better theming support. Um, if people just use standards for certain types of items. Right. And this was pretty against like what was the common mm. uh, recommendation of prefix all the things. Yeah, it's prefix all the things except for these generic custom post types. <laughs> right. Uh, and there's, there, I think there was a lot of promise there, but again, there's not like some core WordPress has really steered away from saying like this is what you name this mm. um, this this particular thing. Uh, and I, to a degree, I think that's a shame because I think it would, it would help a lot. Um, you know, we make these rules about what you can do with posts and pages and whatever, but I mean, testimonials and portfolios and Mm. FAQs, those are on so many websites. Mm. And to me, if there were standards, best practices that were core defined, even if it's not like something in core, I'm not saying support the post type in core or anything, but if they're core defined standards, I think that could be really interesting in terms of what themes could do with that. Yeah. And maybe allows themes to be more of that skin layer rather than trying to put all the things. In do, the do you think the commercial themes, like, does it make sense to want that or do they maybe like their, you know, lock in that they have? Uh, yeah. Uh, lock in is. Uh, it's a strange thing. I think for the most part, um, everybody but those at the top would probably like it. Mm, yeah. Um, and even the top sellers, do, it doesn't make them that powerful because they're still a minority compared to the you know the broader pool. Um, so I, f- I think if you have enough big names that buy in and say we're gonna, you know, we're gonna support this, then that can go a long way. Mm. And we've seen that actually to a degree from Jetpack, which is funny enough, because um, Jetpack has a few custom post types built in. Mm. And uh, I would bet if you look at some of the other themes out there and actually some of the more traditionally um, rule-abiding commercial themes, like array themes is one that mm. comes to mind, um, their themes will show... Mike McAllister's themes will show uh, the use of testimonials and stuff like that, but he's using the uh, Jetpack named testimonials because oh, yeah. um, testimonials is one that's in Jetpack. So people are kind of somewhat organically doing it, I guess, you know, with the people at the top of the market, then it makes sense for the 
for the smaller ones to uh, interpret their data. Right. Oh, that's hilarious. I gave Chris, I gave Justin Tadlock credit for the custom post type standards. He wrote his post based on one that I wrote. <laughs> uh, so humble brag. That's what it's saying. That's a humble brag. I'm sorry. So I had written an editorial in 2014 that said that WordPress.com and Jetpack should lead the way towards standardizing custom post types. Um, now, what Justin did was more important because he took what I said and ran with it and actually started writing a spec. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is you still have to have people buy in to a spec. Right, yeah. No, um, so to me, it seemed like WordPress.com and Jetpack could play a big role in creating that spec. Mm-hmm. Um, I would still love to see this because I think it would be powerful in terms of saying, like, okay, use this theme or that theme or this theme or that theme, and when you switch, you preserve your content, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, where it gets complicated is metadata. Um, mm. So you you basically are going to have to support some standard metadata right, at the same right. time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it it can easily get complicated. <laughs> I'm not trying to act like it's not a hard problem. Um, no, but a lot of it is kind of like if you have uh, yeah testimonials, then you know broadly what the fields are for those. And then, you know, if everybody's implementing that feature, then why not just kind of use the same one? I guess it's probably more difficult around more complicated use cases where there's multiple different ways you could implement a portfolio and how you could store the data depending on, you know, how you want to query it and things like that, where that complexity makes a standard then have more trade-offs for for people. Yep, and this all goes back to why I think because you have this segmentation in the market from page builders too. I think um, Core, even if Core didn't implement its own, I think there is room for debate in terms of whether Core is the right place to define a specification for what content blocks might look like. Mm. Um, And content blocks and custom post type standards, uh, they could all potentially be part of the same conversation Mm. to help uh, some of these tools be supported from a core perspective in terms of how what that means in in terms of the structure of the the resultant markup, right, right. Um, and you can still empower themes and plugins to do a whole lot of stuff, but like it's based on a core spec of what that looks like. Yeah, I mean the and the kind of system it is right now of diff- people using different post types and things like that is just like an awful user experience, really. They're just losing all of that data effectively. If you switch themes, there's no way to even get at that data. If the post type is no longer registered anymore or whatever, like as far as you're concerned, switching that theme just deleted everything. Uh, so mm-hmm. I can imagine it right. you know, uh, has pretty big implications for the user experience. Where this can also come somewhat full circle too, and this is where people should uh, start stirring their drinks, is... Um, that also establishes a stronger standard for theming systems that aren't like the WordPress theming system. Mm. Uh, so if you're creating a custom theming system using the REST API and you're pulling in data with, with that method, mm. um, it empowers the REST API a little bit to be able to have common definitions for, for mm. that same information. Mm. Do you think that's off base? No, no. And I, mean, I, I also was thinking that 
maybe I, d- I don't know if it's a problem or not, but when you're doing a work t- traditional WordPress theme, you obviously have the tools to make any feature and any custom post type that you want because it's all PHP and it's all in the same uh, runtime. So you can do anything from anywhere. It's only arbitrary, like the separation of plugins and themes. Um, whereas if you're building something off the REST API, then you do have to limit yourself to the data that is available. Um, so that creates a hard separation between what has to be in a plugin and what can be displayed because anything that's taking data from the REST API uh, is your display section. It's impossible to add any additional functionality there. So I guess for better or worse, theming that is done via the REST API um, or, or a similar idea and anywhere really, uh, because that, that code is just not running, you know, on the WordPress site, you can't escape hatch and be like, okay, well, I just want to register a custom post type for this little list of things that I've got at the bottom of my theme. Um, and maybe that is helps in the standardization. Maybe it kind of hinders in terms of like realistically what uh, websites can people actually make on a theme that is, um, you know, using the REST API, be it JavaScript or any, you know, even a PHP theme that used the REST API. It's, you know, a legitimate uh, thing to build. Um, I don't know in the long run whether it's kind of going to be better or not because, uh, yes, it's nice that you have the separation, but you're limiting people's tools and actually what they can build. And though we're, it may be nice that we can all go around and say, okay, it's great. Our data is now in a standardized way because we have plugins that provide a portfolio and then we have themes that can interpret that. Um, are the websites that people are actually now making less capable uh, than PHP themes where they can have access to WordPress and do whatever they want. Um, So I'm not quite sure how that will shake out. I just obviously prefer the approach where we have, I guess, theming can be the display and plugins can be the functionality and the REST API allows us to actually create a uh, wall between those things. And, And if you, in my brain at least, if you're setting a stronger definition of uh, how how will this data be stored and how will it be managed in the admin context, then it makes it less of an unknown for the REST API to even know what to expect uh, when something's returned from it. You know, right? Yeah. Uh, because currently, like, someone could take information that is portrayed within a page builder. You don't know if it's stored in options mm-hmm. or if it's stored in serialized meta or if it's stored as a blob of HTML output somewhere. You have no idea. Um, so then, even know, knowing how to use that anywhere, much less in a you know some kind of request to REST API, would be much more difficult versus if there was a standard and kind of everybody was using the same playground. Right, right. Huh. Hmm. What have we missed in this conversation? <laughs> I'm sure a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I guess uh, it's not that often that I think in terms of just themes. So this has been an interesting conversation for that because I usually just think in terms of like the whole of WordPress, what can I do with that and what can I build? Um, and, uh, you know, I... Mm-hmm broadly put stuff in a theme that I want, you know, I think if I do a redesign, will this stay in the theme or would I prefer this functionality or whatever to be at the plugin level so I can switch themes? 
Um, so I don't, I guess, often think about um, the differences there because it's not like I'm selling themes or I don't have to go to the WordPress.org rules because I'm not releasing themes. Um, so it's it's interesting, I guess, to look at it from that perspective because I guess right now, or always has been, you know, it, it's just an arbitrary thing for me, whether you put a file in this directory or another one um, mm-hmm. is, you know, we, we call it part of the theme. And even now, you know, you write uh, a theme for WordPress.com VIP and you're supposed to put all of your plugins in the theme. So like, there, there's... <laughs> you just confused our whole audience that hasn't worked with VIP. That's just a, that, that, that's that, just that, a around. That's, that's a quirk of, of uh, the platform. Um, but the it's point, still basically plugins the way you would traditionally think of them. Right, right. But the point being, they're not really different. And I guess um, if theming in WordPress, like a lot of other systems, then you don't get to just run PHP. It's actually just a temp, different templating language that I think we've talked about in past podcasts, where you are just meant to lay out the data that you have and style it. Um, but... That that is a that's nice for us as developers to think. Okay, that's a clean separation. Um, but I guess you know, uh, practically speaking, WordPress is probably as popular as it is because of all of the crazy things that you can do with WordPress. It is incredibly flexible and loose, and does allow you to do really what you know to a developer's eyes are terrible things, but to a user's eyes is like fantastic. Um, so. Mm-hmm it's probably been a good thing in the long run for the growth of WordPress that theming can do all of these crazy things. And if we instead were a more fixed system where you had to write your themes in handlebars or something, uh, then we just wouldn't be at the position we are. Maybe we wouldn't like have anywhere near the amount of innovation that we are right now in having you know, all of the um, crazy specific themes that can provide different functionality along with all the page building themes and, and stuff like that. So I don't think it's uh, something that should go away, having all of those areas outside of what WordPress.org thinks a theme should be. Um, but I do see the REST API has been quite an interesting um, separation there, I guess, of enforcing, if we want to, uh, kind of a hard limit between what a theme can actually do uh, and what um, you know traditional theme now that can just create a whole website from a theme with any functionality that you want. I do have one more beef that I want to express about page builders. Uh, So what drives me crazy is I've never seen a page builder that truly just sticks to the component aspects of it and doesn't get into all of the minutia of style. Mm. Um, I hate that too. So if you... Sorry, carry on. No, <laughs> just for me, just reminded me of a terrible thing that I saw the other day. <laughs> um, so actually, let's let's do a double a double take here, uh, a, a double win. If you go to a dayarrest.hm, um, that's the the conference that we are co-organizing, and this is a website that's made up of components. And the way these are, this is also built with the REST API. Um, but the way that these components are done is you go to a page, which could just as well be a post, um, and when you're on this page, you can actually say, select a module, and you can pick, you can say, sponsors. And if you select sponsors and add new modules, that's kind of like a, a 
a page builder would offer you, mm-hmm. except for you really only have the option to adjust the content within that one module. It doesn't then have options that says like, well, how many pixels of padding do you want right. in this module? It's leaving it's leaving the theming, the the skinning to the theme itself. And to me, that's what it should be. Um, I really, really prefer when uh, tools leave that type of stuff to the professionals, like whoever designed Mm. it. Mm. And instead, the page builder, to me, should be a component builder to where you can say, add this component of, you know, sponsors, add this component Mm. of testimonials. And maybe maybe your testimonials even has an option that says, make these testimonials have a slider, make them show the avatar, make them in right, line. Right, but as developers, you can specifically enable those kind of things. Per right, and then, and then the theming of that is done on the other end. So like you're, you're separating mm. the style from the component itself. And I don't know why, the, I, I've, actually I've asked this question of page builder makers, and they all say because clients want control. Yeah. So they're saying that clients want to control the size of an H2 on a specific module. And my challenge is for someone to say, screw that, <laughs> like forget what they want. Uh, make a theme that's well-designed, and if you're going to have a page builder, make it the actual components, and you make the decisions on the style. Mm. And if they want to customize it, let them customize it. But it drives me freaking crazy when someone empowers within a one module to specify every level of like the CSS and stuff. Mm. Like if someone's doing that, it's really not that hard to just write CSS versus set 40 settings of CSS within right. a, compo- a component builder. Um, so I mean, that's, the, the, that's my, right. that's my page. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, maybe like the, the page builder that is in use on the day of rest site is just something that we built internally. Um, I, I, I'm interested to see what Pippin comes up with, uh, after looking at all of those plugins, because I would like just a fairly robust, but simple, um, you know, not, not everything to do with styling and that kind of thing to see what the best one available is there. Cause I haven't done a huge amount of research into that and maybe it exists like kind of the goals that we've tried to do with the day of rest one, but somebody's actually taken some time to build it well. Um, I, I definitely be on board, I think with, um, making that a much more standard part of, of what we're supporting when we're building client sites and things like that. Uh, right now we use a couple of different ones and I really hate them across the board. And I just don't know if we haven't found the good ones yet. Um, cause I haven't looked hard enough or it doesn't exist yet. I don't know. Um, yeah. but I'm kind of uh, eager to see the outcome of that. There's one or two that I think are doing a pretty good job like of trying to um, be a little more catered to the WordPress way, if you will. Mm. Um, but none of them are really there. I've, I've tested a few of them. And mm. to me, they're still, they're still kind of missing it. But right. They're cl- right. They're, some, are, some are certainly much better than others. Um, but yeah, to me, if the ones that focus on creating the ability to... Uh, manage components are much further along than the ones that are allowing full control 
and sometimes mm. even required control it. You have to you have to go and set all that crap every time, mm. Mm. Um, and that just drives me nuts. Mm. Um, yeah. So anyway, the state of WordPress themes is is interesting right now. Um, you know, we really didn't even get into all the commercial components, but one of the reasons people are doing all this stuff, offering all this control, is because that's what people are buying. Mm. And yeah, no, the mar- I can see that. Yeah. And the market for, you know, people that are willing to make decisions for theme, you know, whoever's using the theme, is just not as good. <laughs> You're mm. not going to sell as many of them. And unfortunately, like, someone has to prove that model wrong before it can win in a commercial ecosystem. Right. Um, and to me, that's why I think it's possible that Core could play a role there. Mm. Uh, because if Core's the one that's establishing a best practice, then more people might actually do it and follow along with that methodology. Mm. So that is our, our, our <laughs> big... Uh, I don't even know what is a WordPress theme. <laughs> Brain dump. We don't. We don't know. <laughs> no. We should have just started with we don't know. Um. Anyway, so let's finish with a couple of announcements. One I just spoiled. Uh, a day of rest. <laughs> hm. Go there. Come to Boston in March. March ninth. Three days tickets. before my birthday. Uh, we need to put your birthday on the calendar. Uh, on the website. Tickets are available now, um, so that's one event that you need to go to in March. Another event that you need to go to is Post Status Publish, which is uh, December 1st, and tickets should be available very, very soon if you go to poststatus.com slash publish. Poststatus.com slash publish, um, and you can RSVP and by the time this is out, you might be able to buy tickets. Um, that's the day before WordCamp US starts, so it's like an add-on event, basically. Okay, private, so unre- unrelated to WordCamp US. Mm-hmm, going to be in Philly. Uh, and it's the day before WordCamp US. So if you're already going to WordCamp US and you're not a post-status member and not going to this event, then you, you got it wrong. So do you have to be a post-status member to attend? That's the plan. Cool. Um, but it's affordable enough to where even the membership plus the event is not uh, hugely expensive, at least in my opinion. Um, but I guess that varies depending on what is expensive to different people. Um, but it's a lot cheaper than an event destination on its own, uh, where you have to have a you know uh, you fly and have a hotel for multiple days right, and all that yeah, for one yeah. event. If you're already in on WordCamp US, then adding on post status publish, which is going to be significantly different than a WordCamp, uh, is relatively cheap. So, two awesome. events a human made event, a post status event. I'm co organizing yours. You're sponsoring mine. I don't even know if you knew that. <laughs> I did not uh, know that. <laughs> Where's your sponsors on this page? <laughs> See them. <laughs> uh, they're coming up today. Uh, just I just invoiced you, so you owe me money right okay, now. Okay, right. Better get on. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about both of those. Those are our announcements today, and uh, we should, maybe we should have started with those. <laughs> yeah, you know, if we were smart, I'll I'll see if maybe do we'll do, do it in post. It'll be okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find Joe on Twitter where he doesn't tweet enough at Joe underscore Hoyle. 
You can find me at Krogsguard, where I tweet too much. <laughs> and uh, that's what we got. Anything right. else, Joe? Um, no. Awesome. We did. Uh, we'll we we did a week of rest. Uh, oh yeah. The the one week rest API kind of intensive workshop. I would probably call it training workshop. Um, yeah, that was, that was great fun. Yeah, so y'all had a, a workshop for a week of rest, and we need a, we probably need a full REST API podcast again um, because both of us are also involved in a REST API push. Yeah, uh, for, for anybody who doesn't know, Brian has uh, committed himself <laughs> to uh, getting, getting the REST API, hopefully, in... Well, the current goal is WordPress 4.7. We'll see. Content endpoints. Content endpoints. Not full admin coverage. Though I am also working on options endpoints, so that's somehow snuck in there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to a lot going on there. Post How are you finding it so far? We're what? How are you finding, you know, being involved, part of the PM and stuff? Oh, it's fun. It's hard uh, because you can't, force people to do anything, which is Yeah, that's the most difficult thing with open source. Especially from the PM side when like your job is to, you know, steer those things. But people have actually got to write the code or do whatever the thing is. That's tough. Yeah. Fortunately I know a lot of the contributors personally, so I'm able to like go and ping them and get a better idea. And it's mm-hmm. not I I'm not just limited to the official meetings for when I say like, hey, do you think you can take it right. take a look at X? You know? Um but yeah, I mean, I think it's going well. We've got a lot of progress going on. Yeah, um, no, it's been uh, buzzing. Yeah, so there's a, a post on makewordpress.org uh, where I kind of summarize what's happening. Um, and PostStatus members also know. Go to poststatus.com slash club to join that, which you should. Right. And uh, yeah, let's get out of here so people don't think that this podcast is longer than it is. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have Have a good good one. one.